Harrison Price for Monday, January 22nd, 2024. Coming to you from the GoGo Sports Studio, built by Arbor Lee here at the Iconic Wall Center, downtown Vancouver, where if you're heading to a game or any event downtown, embrace the energy, make it a staycation. Call the wall, 604-331-1000. Matt Sikers alongside Blake Price, Grace Sassett, and switches conducting things in this show, a presentation of Applewood Auto Group. Applewood Mitsubishi is in the Richmond Auto Mall. I've been driving my Outlander through the slush and snow, and you can too. Get the 2024 Outlander GT financing from 4.99% plus the industry's best warranty. It's always coming on uh, a Mitsubishi, and it's always good at Applewood. Poll question today, have the Canucks proved you wrong? Yes or no? You can vote at Sikerson Price on Twitter. And YouTube, and we're coming off a couple weeks ago where I penned to welcome Matt. Things I was wrong about, nominated myself for mayor of Wrongville, Blake, but it is a big primary field for the mayor of Wrongville this year. I hope you have your super PAC funding in order if you're going to win this thing. Lots and lots of people wrong about the Vancouver Canucks, and in this case, a resounding yes. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. Um, There's... Reason for the optimism. It, the, the team is on an absolute tear, um, and they're fending off teams coming at them as well. They're staying in the mix for the Western Conference Championship with a, a red hot. How about these three Canadian teams? Like, would anybody have believed at the outset of the season mm-hmm. that Winnipeg and Vancouver are pacing the Western Conference with the Edmonton Oilers needing to be in, even in the playoff conversation, <laughs> winning? Was it 21 of the last 24 games and 13 straight? Like, like none of those three things would have been predicted, and here we are. Yeah, it's the longest winning streak ever by a Canadian-based NHL club, and, and it has got the Edmonton Oilers into playoff position and into a seed in the Pacific Division, but still trailing the Vancouver Canucks desperately. I mean, you know, it's just – if you told me at the beginning of the season – the Oilers are going to have a 13-game winning streak. Where are they vis-a-vis the Canucks? 13 points back would not be my answer. No. No. And yet that's where they're at here. Vancouver 8-1-1 and over the last 10 games, including a 6-4 victory over the Toronto Maple Leafs on Saturday, where they blow a 3-goal lead, a 3-0 lead. They give up the line's share of shots. Thatcher Demko has a just dreadful night and yet still you won by two goals and there wasn't an empty netter here either yeah i mean it sort of says it all with regards to everything has to go right for the canucks at the beginning of the year everything is going right for the vancouver canucks they're passing a lot of tests though right they we we talked about the seven game road trip in its totality Mm -hmm. what a challenge that was you know they go five one and one on that um, we, we've talked about the strength of schedule, um, mm-hmm. especially on the road in that seven-game road trip. Well, they dealt with all that. They beat the toughest teams. They actually dropped points against the the, the, uh, the lesser teams. And they deal with a cauldron of emotion with Toronto as the visiting team at Rogers Arena mm-hmm. and what often goes along with that. Now, I think uh, Canucks season ticket holders did their part in holding onto their tickets uh, for that a game. A little better this year, yeah. But um, but there's still a lot of emotion and a lot of noise, and, uh, and it was a it – was it was, I was going to say it was a night. It was a, it was a late afternoon mm-hmm. that had some jam to it, and they passed that did as they well. ever. And in previous years, finding out that Carson Soucy is hurt for a third time 
this season, and that head coach Rick Tockett is talking about five to six weeks that he's going to miss. And, of course, he has already missed chunks of the schedule already, got hurt back in training camp, got hurt again. This one sounds like a hand injury. You would hear that as a Canucks fan and go, ah, Canuck luck, here we go. It's all going to unravel. And yet I'm not sure there's much that can face them. Uh, it's a different defense lineup at Rogers Arena Monday morning in advance of the game against the Chicago Blackhawks. And, of course, the Blackhawks minus North Vancouver's Connor Bedard still recovering from that broken that broken jaw. But uh, Quinn Hughes lining up with Tyler Myers. We haven't seen him move off the Hughes-Hronick pairing, and yet here we are today. Uh, Ian Cole, of course, Noah Juleson is going to slot into the lineup. So Ian Cole back on the on the left side with Noah Juleson. And, of course, that middle pair now, Philip Hronick on the right side. And now we're going to get a chance to see him anchor his own pair, Blake, with Nikita Zadorov. Yeah, so let's go through that all. Um, we've always said Tyler Myers does not excel in a an elevated role. He's best in a third pair or mm-hmm. limited you know, minutes second pair. Here's the thing with my theory on that is that won't reveal itself for a while. So and they've got the the, the All Star break and all that sort of thing. So I, I think they can certainly get through these three uh, games till the All Star break, and then coming out of that, there should be another few where I think Myers could probably handle the elevated minutes okay. Mm-hmm. Question would be after that if if Susie's still not ready to go, you know, middle of February, which it doesn't sound like it, it will be the case. Do you start to see a degradation of his game there? Zadorov and Ronick, okay, interesting. Um, both make loudish mistakes. Um, we'll see if anybody changes their game a little bit there. Yeah. We saw Zadorov when he first arrived. There was not many swashbuckling jaunts up ice. Mm-hmm. I think he was playing it cool in front of his new coach and such. It had started to emerge. I wonder if he reins himself in just a little bit, knowing that things are a little bit different. Say this about Tyler Myers. He has earned the promotion with what many are calling a signature moment as a Vancouver Canuck. Morgan Riley in a headlock punching a John Tavares <laughs> at the end of that hockey game, which had some piss and vinegar in it. And we've seen a couple of those recently, the game against the Coyotes as well. I heard JT Miller talking about it in the postgame. You know, some of those wolf pack moments are not the worst thing for the Vancouver Canucks, given that you're on a prolonged o- audition here uh, prior to the Stanley Cup playoffs dress rehearsal I should say uh with regards to with regards to um the defense core uh the other thing is this week's lineup of teams the Blackhawks and Jeff had it uh let me just see if I can pull that up here Jeff had it with regards to how stripped down this team is likely to have just two players in the lineup with 17 or more points. That's Jason Dickinson yeah. and Philip Kurashev. And then a St. Louis Blues team that is not exactly an offensive juggernaut and the Columbus Blue Jackets. So if you're going to do some auditioning, as you say, uh, this might be this might be the spot. Okay, let's talk about Nils, let's talk about Rick Talk and then we'll get on to Nils Hoaglander here and Connor Garland. Talkett has now been the head coach of the Vancouver Canucks for 82 games, so a full regular season schedule. 51 wins, 23 losses, 8 results beyond regulation. That's 110 points since he took over for Bruce Boudreau. Max Domi, Leafs forward, had talk it in Arizona pregame Saturday. Listen to this. Probably one of the best coaches in the world right now. You watch these guys play. 
They're always ready to go. That's probably going to be our biggest test tonight in mashing their intensity off the puck drop. He builds pretty special relationships with his players. He's awesome. I still talk to him every so often. Big fan of him as a human being. He helped me out a lot and showed me the ropes. I, I think he has walked in a very nice line of being old school and new school mm-hmm. all at the same time. Um, I think he, he, for the most part, communicates new school. As Domi points out, there's good relationships there. Um, he's not full Pete Carroll, though, if you will. Um, you know, his very presence is a little imposing. Yep. So there's a respect level there, I think, from players of this imposing. Not that they're fearing physical retribution, but you know what I mean. There's just that presence that sort of feels like, okay, he, he's, he's the guy making making decisions. Um and and I think he's just got the whole room engaged, and yeah. and it's also proof of concept, right? It's one thing for a coach to say this is the right way to play, and you're hovering at 500, because then you begin to look at the coach and go, "Is it the right way to play well, though?" When you say this is the right way to play, and you look at the at the standings and go, "See, I told you," they go, "The guy knows what he's talking about." Well, and, and not only proof, I'm not necessarily sure players think this way because you know, for a player, if you've earned a Stanley Cup ring somewhere along the way, then you're a Stanley Cup champion, and you probably have some knowledge to impart. But we all, as fans of media, were sitting there going, okay, he's got this magic recipe way to play. How come it hasn't worked as mm-hmm. a head coach? Now, yeah. granted, some tough spots in Tampa and Arizona. Uh, give, him a, give him a little better team and, and take a look at what he's achieving here. Well, I don't remember anybody. When he was on TNT, uh, up, up until the Canucks sniffing around, maybe, I didn't hear anybody say, Hey, when is somebody going to be plucking talk yeah. off TV? Like I didn't hear that. If it he was said, maybe, but I I didn't hear it. A candidate. He wasn't the candidate for anyone except for this group. And Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvine knew something that we didn't with regards to Rick Tockett and his capacity as a head coach from his time as an assistant in Pittsburgh, where they won Stanley Cups under former Canucks assistant Mike Sullivan. Uh, Jay Fresh Hockey, the Canucks spend more than 30 minutes per game with the lead. It's by far the most in the NHL. Another first goal on Saturday. J.D. Burke of Elite Prospects was tracking exactly how many minutes per, over the course of the year the Canucks have been in the lead in hockey games, and it's a staggering amount of time. And everybody complains. I shouldn't say everybody. There is a crowd that complains about the 4 p.m. starts when the Leafs come to town. Now, there's also a crowd that's like, yeah, game on. I'd much rather a 4 p.m. Saturday start. We've heard this a lot from uh, Canucks fans with young families or people trying to get here from the island or the interior. 19 times they have played going back to 2004. Vancouver is 17-2 and against the Leafs at Rogers Arena and, of course, previously GM Place. 14 regulation wins. Averaging three and a half goals per game, giving up just a little more than two. Dominant on the power play, on the penalty kill, and plus 29 in those 19 outings against the Leafs. So really, this has been a house of horrors for the blue and white every time they've come out here but two. Well, and even the visits to Toronto have gone pretty well um, for the most part over the last handful of years, even when they were when they were bad. So, yeah, I mean, it's not the imposing thing that um, that you'd think it would be, given the Leafs have had a very nice team over the last handful of years. Mm-hmm. 
but there's been a bugaboo here. And, and hey, it's a bit of a taste of their own medicine. Maybe it's the three time zones over sort yeah, of thing. No, absolutely. And the Canucks have to face that when they go the other direction. Canucks with more uh, with a multi-goal effort from the power play for the first time since that San Jose game. And you can almost really like throw San Jose games out. That's not necessarily NHL competition these days, more an outlier. We had talked about, oh, when's the power play going to get going? Well, it got going against... When are people going to realize that J.T. Miller to Pedersen passes is coming? <laughs> and uh, Harmon Dial, our buddy from Connects Conversation and The Athletic, noting their penalty kill is 87.5% over the last month. It is third best in the league, tied with Carolina. So we're seeing progress That's in good. an area of the game that has long been a Canucks pitfall. And it was better throughout kill. the whole season, but only a little bit. <laughs> like it, it had gotten to league respectability, but it was still... A bottom of the middle, if you will, and it's starting to climb out of that position. Nils Hoaglander with a two-goal game for the Vancouver Canucks. He is third on the team in even-strength goals with 14 behind Elias Pettersson and Brock Besser because, of course, he doesn't play power play. He does not have a power play goal, and I see J-Pad and others are banging the drum to get him on a power play unit after this performance Saturday against the Toronto Maple Leafs. We had heard from Rick Tockett last week that he's now finding it a lot easier to trust Niels Hoaglander out there. And remember, we were talking about a guy who I think Bruce Boudreaux summed it up perfectly last year. If you're going to be a 30-goal-plus guy, then I can deal with some of the defensive miscues. But unless you're that guy, you're going to have to learn the defensive side of the puck. Let's hear from Rick Tockett on Saturday postgame about Niels Hoaglander coming off a pair of goals. Hoggy was like, I mean, that second goal, what a shot. So um, he spent a lot of time, Hoggy, in the video room. Um, and he's and he's working at practice a lot. And you can see it's paying off for him. Uh, that's what I love. That uh, He's getting rewarded for his hard work. Love to hear that. And, and a we, kid who wants to be better. We wondered a little bit about this when he struggled. So he has the fabulous debut in the, the weird season, the North Division season. And in the subsequent games that we saw him, we wondered about this because it just seemed not necessarily that desire was the problem, but like where was the abundance of energy? Like it just it didn't seem like it was focused in the right places. And I that surprised me based on the character that he is. Like well, you, you knew that this season was in him somehow, that this effort was in him. Not necessarily the bottom line, but I knew that this effort was in him and it just wasn't there for the eye test. And now it has all come together. Like whether or not he deserves 14 goals in the season, I don't know. You know, the shooting percentage is high there too. But he's again, good things happen to those that are doing the work. Well, what surprised me even earlier this year is for a guy who's that pugnacious that he would just disappear. That's the thing. It didn't make sense. Like like you'd go long stretches of the game without even hearing his name called, or that you would go a couple of games without him doing. A whole lot. And we've had the conversation several times this year, uh, once with our buddy David Quadrelli of Canucks Army and Canucks Conversation. Is he done being a healthy scratch? I think we can now say he's done being a oh, healthy scratch. Yeah. But it yeah. has been a, you know, a two-step forward, one-step back line of progression with Nils Hoaglander. And look, um, now the Canucks have a very big decision to make because you know he's going to be a guy that other teams are asking about as we get into trade deadline season and negotiations for either one of the plum rentals like an Elias Lindholm, a Jake Gensel, or perhaps even somebody with some term. And, you know, many have cited chemistry as 
something they're a little worried about, that they want the Canucks to go out, fortify, get better for the uh, Stanley Cup playoff run, but they don't want to see that at the expense of team chemistry. And I think you can put Niels Hoaglander squarely in the middle of team chemistry. If this was a contract year for Hoaglander, I would be less concerned about this because... Uh, he could be a 20-goal scorer by the end of it. Uh, what does that bump him up to? Is he a $4 million player if, if he if he gets to 20 goals um, in, in the new economy? He's got another year of 1.1, man. Oh, I know. It's exactly what the team needs, yep. production from somebody at or near the bottom of the pay scale. I mean, he's exactly what they need next season. They need a, a few Niels Hoaglanders. They yep. need they need the silly pot Colson to be a, a, a Niels Hoaglander next year. So to get rid of one of those low-cost guys, boy, that would hurt. And the other thing that's happened here is we used to lump Niels Hoaglander into a grouping with his fellow young wingers or inexperienced wingers, Andre Kuzmenko and Vasily Pod Colson. He has separated from yeah. that group. And who'd have thought we'd say that after Kuzmenko's season last year? Right. But that's where we find ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, Gar- Garland. That's where we're going next. Mm. Connor Garland with a three-point effort, the game's first star. And what I love about this Garland story, beyond the trade request that wasn't a trade request or whatever it was on the eve of the season, uh, a similar storyline there to Brock Besser about you know the trades he didn't make. But what I love about Garland is that we recognized for a long time that that line of his, and, and now it's Teddy Bluger and Dakota Joshua earlier in the season was a little bit different when, when Bluger was, was out missing, was doing a lot of good things but not getting the results. And every coach you've ever had will tell you, right, when you do the right things out there, eventually – the just desserts will come. Well, Connor Garland is finally getting some just desserts here with the Vancouver Canucks because for a while there it was like, yeah, he's playing well, but they just don't have any production. He is up to eight goals and 16 assists for 24 points. Here's Coach Tockett on Garland. That line's, you know, the last two months is. I mean, they've they've won us some games. Um, they, they're 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 a line that's connected a lot. Um, I, you know, I, I hate to say it, but they're a system line. They they're in spots that we want them to be in, and they're and they're getting rewarded. I mean, Connor Garland's, you know, um, I mean, he was terrific tonight again. I mean, he's he's had he's had a hell of a year for us. Um, really proud of that guy. You know, from start of the year, um, but he's done he's done a great job. I don't want to give too much credit to the coach because the players ultimately carry out the plays but I think the coach saw the tools that all three guys bring to the table Mm -hmm. and said this is how we want you to play well and And they're doing it perfectly and I understand why he hesitated to call them a system line because some might take that pejoratively I don't think so like uh, to me that's a compliment talk it as a specific way they want to play and these three guys follow it to the letter yeah and that's why they've effectively become the Vancouver Canucks second line from a production standpoint, yeah. Maybe not from a beauty standpoint. No. It's a, fu- it's a funny line to watch. Look, we but- can and will have the conversation about whether that's good enough as a second line to make a deep Stanley Cup playoff run for the here and now and watching these guys individually get rewarded because it was Joshua at the game winner against Arizona last week. I mean, this is a coach's dream. Like, this is the thing you hold up as an example as you go down your coaching career. 
about, yeah, I had this line in Vancouver, these three guys, kind of misfits, the right winger we had tried with every centerman possible. The center was more a fourth or fifth line guy in Vegas. The left winger was a free agent that not a lot of people were in on. Almost he, AHL yeah, guy. No, exactly. Yeah. And they've come together. And if you looked at them and said, which one's the puck retrieval guy? You'd probably go to Joshua right. and say, he's the guy with the size. That's who, the itty-bitty guy. Who would have thought that <laughs> it'd be Connor Garland right. going into the corners and stealing wallets? Like It's yeah. unbelievable to watch him go into the corner. It feels like it's with 98% success that he comes away with the puck. And you can see the players almost, how did he do that? And the truth is, I don't I don't know. But it's nobody's wise to it yet. Uh, moving on, and the big news Friday for the Vancouver Canucks was the three-year contract extension for president of hockey operations, Jim Rutherford. We heard from Rutherford. We heard from Canucks chairman Francesco Aquilini at the podium as this news was announced. Uh, we did hear from Elias Pettersson briefly after practice, but a couple of follow-up remarks from both gentlemen that I wanted to get to. Rutherford did a round of interviews. He went on 650. He was asked about playing out the Pettersson scenario because, of course, this is the management group that will tell you, oh, he's not a UFA, he's an RFA, he's still under club control, we have right. two more years. All those things technically true. In reality, you need a deal done by the draft. And he was asked about... You know, if worse comes to worst, having to make a trade. He said it would be too big a trade to make before the deadline. And needless to say, why would you break you know, this wagon up? Yeah. But he brought up the notion of trading him in the summer. And you do wonder how that lands with Elias. Uh, we were already saying last week and reminded that Elliot Friedman said, look, I think the Canucks have messaged here for the benefit of their fans and are probably best served to shut up on this right now and say no more. So that I thought pretty interesting. Good honesty on Rutherford. That is absolutely the process that is going to have to happen here, that if Elias Pettersson will not commit to you whenever your season ends and you get to the draft, then you have to wonder if this guy's just in for this next year, do we have to make a move there? And then Pedersen after practice, and this comment didn't get as much run as the wait until the end of the year, he reiterating that he didn't want to talk contract right now. He was asked if he is happy on how things have improved under Rutherford. His quote was, yeah, of course. I think it shows for itself where we are in the standings, all the renovations at the rink, and just become a really professional hockey club and the culture has changed. Now, that could be benign, and it is a second language, but when he talks about the renovations at the rink in a sentence with a really professional hockey club and the culture changing, it sounds like he went into the season skeptical and going, this whole organization, top to bottom, yeah. needs to make some vast improvements. And, and that's how I read it. And least. a lot of people like there's two ways to interpret that, that he's he's tracking it all the way back to previous coaches and previous management and that it wasn't professional. Or he's talking about the first impression of this management group, which is the dismissal of Bruce Boudreaux and how poorly that went, um, in addition to an older rink and all the renovations, which were delayed literal, and really yeah. screwed up. In fact, the last couple of. So camps and preseasons. it's hard to know exactly what he's pointing to as that was unprofessional, Um but it's through the clouds now. Like he's he's obviously feeling, and and I have to say this: like 
I don't like what's the optics of, of, of a lot that's happening right now with him. And yet, you would think if he was dismayed with this organization and looking to move on, God. That would have leaked out. I, I think it would have leaked into his play. Like, I, I don't yeah. know that you can be disillusioned with your job and yet show up every day and be that freaking good. Yeah. Like, that, to me, well, that takes a, a guy who's who's got a long-term investment, I would think. I would think. Yeah. Well, we may well still be in a show-me-prove-it-to-me uh, state for the Vancouver Canucks with Elias Pettersson. Uh, Rutherford adding, incidentally, on Friday. There's not a lot of players on the roster that they're looking to change or replace at this point. He talked about if they're getting an impact player, they would conce- they would consider moving the first-round pick and said that they may, in fact, have to move a good prospect in certain deals. It sounds to me like the first-rounder is all but traded. I would think. It, it, yeah. There's no hard strings attached to it for anybody. It'll be a right. late first-rounder. I think it is a fait accompli. It is gone. Yes. All-star game where Quinn Hughes is going to partner with his brother Jack as captains of a team that involves Vancouver's Michael Buble. And don't believe all the things you're reading about Buble on those terrible ads on Twitter. He's the new Mary Berg. They're trying to get at Buble now. The poor guy, the AI photos that they've got of him. Exactly. The, like, what did they type into the AI generator? Crying ugly Michael Buble? Because that's what they oh. got. It's terrible. We, we, we mentioned this last week that the league is going to try and bring some sizzle with some uh, star power hockey fans and bring them and get them involved into the all-star selections, uh, teams, uh, team selections. Justin Bieber is going to partner with Austin Matthews. They're big bros in Toronto. Of course, that's where the game is. Mm-hmm. Connor McDavid and Will Arnett, who the NHL seems to turn to at every big event, uh, knowing he's a big hockey fan. And then Nathan McKinnon with Tate McRae, a YouTube, YouTuber. Yeah, you in- influencer, right? Influencer. Yeah, I mean... My daughters know who he is. And she uh, is. Quinn Hughes also going to the uh, skills competition mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. at All-Star Game. He's sinking his teeth into which it. Which should Good. be fun. Oilers have won 13 consecutive games. The NHL record is 17. The next four games for Edmonton. Columbus, Chicago. Oh, my God. And then we get some meat on the bone. Sydney and the Penguins. Oof. They would be one away from tying the record. Uh, where is that? Not one? on is that Sydney's still, is that still home? I don't know. I'll don't get to that. it. Okay. And then the the game to tie, should they win those three, would be against Vegas. Oh, man. So you're, they're going to earn the streak if they get there. Oh, hell yeah. And, of course, you know, Vegas, a team that bounced them in the Stanley Cup playoffs last year. That was a terrific series until Edmonton had a lapse. I want to say it was second period of game six and and. and couldn't recover from there. Could have been game five. And, and uh, of course, you know, Sydney is not going to want this on his watch. Errors right? and omissions. What? Alas. No, it's not Sydney. It's Nashville. Oh. You, uh, you had the P You had the P team, but it's the Predators. Oh. Yeah. They took it from a uh, Edmonton reporter. Oh, unless put... Google's got it wrong, which it wouldn't be the first time that Google got it wrong. Columbus. I had Columbus, Chicago, Pittsburgh, and Vegas. Yeah, it does end on Vegas, so that game stays. I've yeah. got the Predators here, so... Ah, um, uh, but okay. I mean, still a playoff team, still a tough out, mm-hmm. you know. So we will see. Yeah. Um. I, I, honestly, it's just it's an incredible story. Thirteen straight wins. Yeah. 
if I, I can remember years ago being dispatched uh, from my post here with the Globe and Mail down to San Jose when the Sharks were on like a 12 or 13 game streak and getting a chance at that time to talk to Ron Wilson was the head coach, Joe Thornton, Patrick Marlowe, about everything that goes into a streak like that. It's really difficult to do. And yet, as we talked about earlier, they picked up, what, one point on the Canucks in that span? It's truly extraordinary. Speaking of BC and Alberta, you know how we talked to, or at least observed a little bit of this reordering of college football with the super conferences and teams like Washington and Oregon joining a conference that's based in the Midwest? Well, how about that same philosophy happening in junior A hockey? Five AJHL teams joining the BCHL for next year. Spruce Grove, Sherwood Park, Brooks, Blackfelds, and Okotoks. The big ones. Like yeah. the brand well, name that's ones. it. Yeah. Uh, this is what I mean. The Super Conference is coming to Junior A Hockey. And really, when these five join the BCHL, there may be other leagues that call themselves Junior A Hockey, but they'll effectively be Junior B Hockey, given the power that you'll have with the existing BCHL clubs and then these five cherry picked AJHL clubs. It'll be very interesting. I mean, it's a it's a it's a bold move by the BCHL. And of course um, this is breaking away with Hockey Canada these clubs uh, would be and yep. you you'd have to think something resolves there at some point. The question is without the backing of Hockey Canada does a potential prospect although you know if they're going to NCAA hockey anyway do they care about the opinion of Hockey That's Canada? That's right. But it'll be interesting to see because there's already that conspiracy theory. We've seen this and we've seen it in practice to some degree that the junior player that goes to the NCAA Maybe doesn't get that World Junior ass. Isn't asked to the U18 because they've sort of turned their back on Hockey Canada. Well, now it's going to be absolutely turning their back on Hockey Canada and at an earlier age by going to this independence slash junior A league. Uh, you know, are, are you are, are you going to get a prospect? That's like I'm not I'm not going to risk not going to the U18s and the World Juniors. I, I'm I'm going to go somewhere mm-hmm. else. Um, but but it, the other thing about it is that it should theoretically increase the level of competition. If you're a Canadian kid thinking of going the NCAA route, we've already seen the BCHL import a number of kids from back east and particularly Ontario. Legacy, Whether, legacy NHL players too, right? I mean, plenty. The uh, burden of travel isn't too, too much because they're all in Alberta. You're not trying to be a pan-Canadian league or even really a regional league. It's a two-province yep. league, and you can structure the schedule accordingly. So, boy, uh, we knew Chris Hebb had some big ideas uh, when he took over the BCHL, and uh, it is coming to fruition, a couple more things to note here before we move on. Uh, our old buddy Bo Horvat made it a successful debut for Patrick Waugh behind the New York Islanders bench. Horvat scores the Islanders win. Uh, Adam Henrique, deadline target potentially with a couple of goals for Anaheim Sunday night. He's up to 14. I'm glad to see St. Patrick back in the National oh, Hockey. Yeah. The league is so much more fun with St. Patrick. He is such a character, incredible player, of course, but a grand character of the game. I'm a little surprised to hear it was the Islanders. I thought his next landing spot might be back home with the Montreal Canadiens or just down the highway with the Ottawa Senators. I thought it would be some- a flimsy president that brings him in and just sort of says, you you do it. I'll just, right. I'll just be here. There's, there's a couple of opinions swirling around Absolutely. the Islanders organization. Lou Lamorello, uh, Lamorello and his son. Yeah. 
uh, in the upper management. We'll, we'll see if this is only going to be coaching because that was one of the things we heard about Patrick is he wanted a chance to pick some of the groceries if he was doing the cooking. Mm-hmm. Um, but great to have him back in the league and, and visiting coaches. You have been warned that glass partition between the benches, it can be moved. Yeah, it's a suggestion. It's 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 not an actual division. If he gets really upset and starts slapping on the glass, just be forewarned, it might move, as we saw here with St. Patrick. Listen, this is a uh, beginning of a new era here on Sakarison Price. We are live mm-hmm. on YouTube. We'll do it live. We, of course, did live shows forever uh, back in our radio day. When we started in April 2021, we did a live stream of Sakarison Price. And we're back to being live here. Now, look, um, it's not going to be the entirety of the show. In fact, um, the podcast will be out daily about 1 o'clock. And we'll include second guests, hashtags, some of the other features to the people we go and we do to the people. Um, so the podcast will be out about 1 p.m. daily with all the features that you know from the Sakarison Price Show. But the opening block and the first guest are going to be live on YouTube going forward. Looking forward. Absolutely. Looking, and thank you for the feedback already. Yeah. We see a bunch of you chiming in on YouTube, and uh, it looks looks great. And we'll uh, throughout the course of this uh, new venture mm-hmm. live, we'll uh, bring in some of your comments. So as we get to the menu here, coming up is John Shannon. And after that, we'll do some hashtags. Michael Del Zotto, former Vancouver Canuck, also join us. We'll talk about the NFL Divisional Playoff Weekend. So here's some price from Wall Center and a presentation, Applewood Auto Group. Applewood Ford in Port Hardy has the staple. Everybody, when you think pickup truck, you think the Ford F-150. Well, you get a $5,000 rebate right now at Applewood Ford in Port Hardy, plus a $1,500 bonus for eligible owners. So make your way to Applewood Ford in Port Hardy. It's all good at Applewood. Poll question today, have the Canucks proved you wrong? Yes or no? You can vote at Sakurson Price on Twitter and YouTube. With John Shannon, the co-host of the Bob McCowan podcast, the former executive producer of Hockey Night in Canada, kindly agreed to join us here on a Monday, typically on Tuesdays. How are you? I'm great. Monday's mm-hmm. a good day for me. Actually, yeah. every day's a great day no, for it's, me. You, you, are as easy, you are as easy as any guest we've ever had here on Sakurson Price with regards to the scheduling. Well, so and the reality that. is I, I've, I've been in the other seat. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. It does tend to I, make I, you a little I, more facile. I, He's I easy do, like Monday morning. Is that what you're saying? I do. I do have some empathy mm-hmm. for scheduling. Mm-hmm. What did you make of the hockey game Saturday night? Well, uh, you know, the uh, tale of two periods and then the better team won out. Uh, so... I mean, it, it, it shouldn't surprise us. Both teams have high octane offenses. And uh, in, in many ways, I think that it, it took a lot for the Maple Leafs to get back to the, the tie game. And then they had nothing left uh, for the rest of the game. But the Canucks looked impressive, you know, and it's it's the depth again, guys. When when you're getting, you know, Garland and Hoaglander as your as your goal scorers, that's a that's a really important aspect. Mm. And. Regular season, yeah, but as you look towards the playoffs, the depth is going to mean a huge amount of success. Kind of forgetting criticized 
the Canucks were getting criticized for not beating good teams. Um, for a lot of that was just the schedule. They just for a long time just didn't have a, a long run of contenders to deal with. Um, well, with that road trip and beating Devils, Rangers, Islanders, Penguins, and now the Leafs, uh, can that be put to rest just a little bit? That this team can actually beat good teams. Listen, I think it could have been put to rest even if they didn't beat good teams. Because yeah. I've watched Chicago play five times in the last three weeks, and they scare you all the time. They scare you, and every once in a while, they come up and and win. And every team can beat anybody. Can beat anybody in this league at any time. You know, I mean, uh, as we talked about last week, I mean, the Canucks were a bonus to get a point out of Columbus, uh, the way they the way they did. This, this is a tough league. Um, and you know, every time you think, well, we got three games against inferior talent, you watch one of them will bite, come up and bite you. So I, I, I think the Canucks have been impressive from opening night and they continue to be impressive and they continue to be somebody that a lot of people around the NHL are talking about. How concerned should they be with the Edmonton Oilers and what is happening in Northern Alberta <laughs> these days? Well, the good news is I don't think they'll meet them in the first round. <laughs> no, yeah. I don't. I don't think the Oilers will be a wild card after all. Um, but man, oh man, uh, what is happening at Edmonton is is truly amazing. Now, I think you could you could make the same complaint, Blake, uh, about their schedule of their thirteen games. There's a lot of teams below them in the standings, but they did win the games, and they did they did take advantage of situations. Um, what the Oilers are able to do now is to manage any type of adversity really well. Down two nothing, down one nothing, you know, coming from behind is not a is not an issue for them. Simply, they they stay with the game plan that Chris Knobloch and Paul Coffey have put in place, and and they're getting great goaltending from Stu Skinner. You mentioned the Canucks scoring depth. Nils Hoaglander had been a player talked about in trade rumors because if the Canucks are going to get a big piece, they need to give something else, need to give something up. Um, would you move him? Is he too important to them? Oh, what are you getting back? Well, I mean, you know, so the top of the heap guys, like the Lindholms, the Gensels, maybe a guy with term. Yes. Something like that. Yes, uh, I'm giving him up. Yes, even for a rental? Even for a rental. Even for a rental. I mean, that you know, this could be the Canucks year. This could be it. And and the one thing you know about uh, what those guys, Rutherford and Alvin, do is they play for now. They play to win now. And um, it was the same philosophy they had in Pittsburgh. Uh, they would do anything to surround Crosby, Malkin, Latang with really quality people in order to win Stanley Cups, which they did. And so I, I don't see at this point with the success of the Vancouver Canucks, with the talent on the Vancouver Canucks, I just don't see Patrick and Jimmy changing that philosophy. Is there a distinction though, John, because those players you just named and the Pittsburgh team they inherited, I mean, I guess Alvin was there, but that Rutherford inherited that was a playoff season previous Stanley Cup winner. This is nothing of the sort. Um, that doesn't change the calculus for you? Or you don't think no. that will change the calculus for them? No, because um, I, I think that, you know, with uh, with Rutherford signing his extension, he's not he didn't sign a 10-year deal. You know, he signed a three-year deal. 
Uh, so that means he expects to win in the next three years. Um, and so why not now? Uh, I, I, and I really do think that question with everything that is going on in the national hockey league has to be for a lot of teams, including the Canucks is why not now? It's a, it's a, a tremendous opportunity to take this team a long way in the playoffs. What does the uh, Carson Soucy injury do to? Does that? I mean, we we've been predicting the, the early strike for a long time. Uh, does the, the the injury expedite that even more? Does it does it mean it happens even before the break? No, no. I I, I mean, I, I do think that now they can be a little patient at this time of year. What I do, you know, you have to wonder. I I still think that if if the Canucks are going to go out uh, at the deadline, which is still a long way away, guys. Um, it, it, you know, depth defensemen are going to be at or near the top of the list. Sure. You'd like another center, but at or near the top of the list has to be another defenseman. And so th- that's the, that's the one thing that I would suggest that if, if, if the Susie situation is as bad as some people think it might be, then you have to go out and get some more depth on the blue line. Rick Tockett. I'm not <laughs> sure if you caught, uh, Max Domi's comments on Saturday and, and Domi of course had him with the, uh, with the Arizona coyotes, but he talked about how he's one of the best coaches in the world wow. right now. Um, did you hear anybody around the NHL speaking of talk it in these sorts of, uh, with this sort of language, like when he was on the TNT set and he was working on in media, did you get the sense that this was just a twice failed NHL head coach who may get another opportunity did you see any of this coming from rick talkett head coach Uh, this greatness no i'll be honest i didn't um you know he was always on everybody's list when you said name me five guys that aren't coaching right now that should get another chance um rick talkett was on that list that said there were teams that passed him by there were teams that you know interviewed him and didn't hire him or just didn't interview him uh, so from, from that perspective, uh, it wasn't as if he was, you know, a Jack Adams trophy winner, Stanley cup winner, uh, that, uh, ha- was going to inevitably get back into the game. Uh, it took the right situation. It took familiarity, you know, the Pittsburgh connection again, it's going to be a drinking game soon, isn't it? <laughs> uh, the Pittsburgh connection again was a huge, huge assist to talk at being the right guy in Vancouver. And I do think, and and I know I look at television maybe differently than most people. I do think his time away from the game, being able to watch a lot of hockey and seeing things and watching trends. I do think that was a great assist to him to become the coach he is now. Uh, the best example of that to me, Scotty Bowman, you know, Scotty Bowman joined hockey night for four years. And then went back to becoming a player personnel guy with the Penguins and then eventually to coach and then to Detroit. And he was a much different and better coach at those periods of time than he was being the arbiter and a very tough one in Montreal. Well, and it's a great point, John, because when you're coaching your own team, you were so hyper-focused on the one team and the micro details. Whereas if you do serve in the analyst role, you get the macro across the league and it can be quite instructive you know Um, matt you you that is really a salient point so many people now doesn't make many of them well it's early in the week 
Um, so many people now, when they are with their teams, all they see is 82 games. They don't see the 1300 that are played and how things are different with other clubs. You know, this, this takes me back to a time when uh, John Davidson, who's now the president in, in Columbus, uh, was the lead broadcaster in both countries, in my mind, uh, for years and years and years. And he would get phone calls from managers and coaches saying, what's going on? How, how do I, what, what's going on with this team? What's going on with that team? And because John, because as a broadcaster, he had a book on every team in the league. And, and so he had knowledge of every, every team in the league. And I remember talking to him about two years into his time in St. Louis. I'm saying, boy, did you watch that game last night? He said, no. <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm, I, I'm too worried about the blues at that point. I'm too, he was too, too worried about his own team. And, you know, part of the success of understanding how this game is played is to understand the whole league. Speaking of former presidents, uh, the former Penguins president, take a shot. Uh, Jim Rutherford uh, signs his extension late last week. Uh, how much did that surprise you? And, and, you know, the, the chances that he sees this through to the end. I mean, if, if they win the cup this year, does he actually change the plan or do you think he sees it through? No, because he'll want to win too. <laughs> I know him. You got to know him. You got to know him. He'll want to win too, just like he did in take a shot Pittsburgh. You, you know, uh, it didn't surprise me. He, he told a lot of us uh, very cryptically before Christmas that uh, an extension was coming and it was just a matter of time. And, you know, he, and, and I think what had changed was his, not his commitment to Vancouver, but his belief in Vancouver as a city and what a great place it is to be around. That's the one thing that I think changed. And, and so the, it's, to me, it's a double commitment. It's a commitment by the, the Aquilinis to Jim. And I think it's Jim to the city and to the fans and to the franchise. I'm just glad they're done playing the Penguins this year. We might have some alcohol problems. <laughs> Uh, well, actually, they don't. Sorry, my bad. They play the Penguins next month here at Rogers Arena. Yeah. Dear God, John, we're all going to be luscious by the end of February. Um, hey, just out of curiosity's sake, and not that it really matters, because I think most people found the game. Although my mother, who was of a certain age, said, how come the Canucks and Leafs aren't on the CBC on Saturday? Why was that a sports net game with the CBC taking the Habs and Bruins? I don't know. That's a, that's a good question. Um, you know, that's, uh, that's a distribution issue for our, our friends at Rogers who, uh, who, who make that up. I suspect that, um, you know, in the end, um, you know, the CBC, even though it's in more homes is just a piece of real estate to Rogers. And if you're trying to put a, a stake in the ground for your own properties, you better put, Toronto and Montreal, uh, Toronto and Vancouver on, on Sportsnet. Yeah, it, it would. It, there's some logic to it. I mean, I, I. It's funny now. I don't even, as a consumer, um, it doesn't even phase me anymore. To I go don't even look at. I, I don't draw the extent. I don't draw the distinction either. But, but of know. course, there's a lot of ingrained people in this country who yeah. go to the but CBC on Saturday evening at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. For it's, their... Listen, it's not a bad thing. Uh, mm -hmm. Even from, from optics, what I would tell you is, as somebody, again, who scheduling and planning, uh, it, it's not a bad thing to put somebody other than the Maple Leafs on at 7 o'clock Eastern time on the CBC once in a while. 
Well, yeah. from a Roger standpoint, who the one signing the checks makes a lot more sense for them to hoard that one for themselves too, right? So, well, I don't know if hoarding would be the way. Oh, to I would. I really it. My <laughs> word's not yours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Take another shot. Um, did the did Lou Lamorello and the Islanders move quickly to get Patrick Waugh in because they feared he might wind up in Montreal or Ottawa? Not in Montreal. No, no. way. Martin San Luis. Is he going to be the guy here? He's going to see the guy, man. Through, and he'll be the guy that leads them into their next competitive cycle. I, I, I think that I think Martin San Luis, uh, you know, and Jeff Gordon and uh, and the other Jeff have uh, done a, a great job. Uh, I think they're a triumvirate. I don't see them. I don't see that changing one bit. Um, do I think that there was starting to be rumblings of Patrick Waugh elsewhere? Yeah. But at the same time, the Islanders needed something, you know, and, and it's funny. I had conversations during the game on Friday night against the Blackhawks saying, if Lane doesn't win tonight, he's done. So, um, yeah. it, and then you know, the great thing about Lou is he is decisive. He, he knew who he wanted. He knew what type of person he wanted. Um, he does have a real affinity for anybody coming out of the Montreal organization. He's always loved what the Canadians did for years and years and years as a dating back to his time at Providence. So um, it shouldn't come to a, any surprise that Patrick Waugh was at the top of his list. I'm surprised it took as little time for Waugh to get back in. I'm surprised it took as short for Corey Perry to get back in. Uh, are you? Because to meet the qualifications, to have a terminated contract, and then for that guy to be back just – you know, two months later, um, well, should, after pledging to get counseling and help, right? Yeah. So, yeah. I still, yeah. I, I'm amazed it, it took as little as it did. The key thing, um, first of all, uh, Patrick Waugh didn't get back in, uh, because a lot of people were very, uh, angry at him for the way he left Denver, mm. the way he left the avalanche in a lurch in August, just prior to the season starting Jared Bednar, I think had six weeks. Right. I think a lot of people, thought that he was a, a lone wolf and uncontrollable. And it right. took this this time for people to accept that he could be controllable. And trust me, he's going to the manager in the National Hockey League that can control him. Um, as far as Corey Perry there, you know, it didn't get very much press. It did get mentioned, but um, Corey Perry initiated an interview with the commissioner. Corey Perry went to New York and said, Gary, I'd like to talk to you because I think I... I understand what has happened. I understand why my contract was terminated, but I, whatever uh, rehabilitation I needed to go through, I feel strongly that I have gone through it. I want you to understand my side of the story. And the commissioner came back and said, you can, you know, Corey, I'm impressed with what you've done. And I have no reason to think that you can't come back and play. Mm -hmm. The moment that happened, I can guarantee you the phones at Newport started to ring and find a way to how, how to do it. And what, in the end, Corey Perry needed to do was find a franchise where there was a, a fit. And, and there is a fit in Edmonton. They do need depth players. They do need character players. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know when he's going to start playing. Uh, they also needed cheap players. And let's face it, Corey at this point is, you know, playing on a minimum salary with bonuses. So from that perspective, um, this is, this is a, a pretty good marriage. I thought, I thought Tampa would be the other place, um, because of this guy has a, a really good reputation inside the dressing room as being a team player, 
uh, someone who gives his all, someone who looks after his teammates. Um, so from that perspective, uh, I'm not surprised it, it, it happened as quickly as, as it has, Blake. You got the heads up on the Rutherford extension. How long until we hear the same news on Patrick Alvin? Well, yeah, you know, the, the question is, is that, uh, do they want to, uh, do they want to do it when the Canucks are on their all-star break or they want to do it when they, when they come back and there are games and you can have a, a you know, a celebratory press conference. Rick I Hawkins, don't think you sure. want to do it. I don't think you want to do it. I don't think you want to do it next week when everybody's off. Right. Uh, we won't be off. You won't be off until then, John Shannon. I'm on my way to Edmonton, boys. So Harrison Price from Wall Center. Presentation, Applewood Auto Group. Hashtags is the best and worst of Twitter.com. I will lead us off with our friend Dave Hall from Canucks Army at Hall 1289. Hunter Brestevich picked up a primary assist today. That gives him 61 on the year, 69 points in 44 games for the Canucks prospect and Kitchener Ranger defenseman. He's now just 15 shy from tying the most assists by a defender in the 2000s. That is, of course, former Canadian World Junior Nashville Predators first-rounder Ryan Ellis, who had 76 assists in the 2010-11 season. As Dave notes, he's on pace to smoke the field in points. He's got 24 games left, seven away from the record, eight to break. Yeah. Averaging an assist and a half, basically, I'll assist in a third per game. If If he's a more elevated draft pick, are we talking differently about him? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Which is why I think um, he might be very much in play for the Canucks. for sure, because you would have to think you're selling high here. Yeah. Now, who knows? Maybe he steps in the league, and he's a sensational. He's the next young, sensational, puck-moving offensive defenseman. But you're probably a couple of years away from that. And if you're the Vancouver Canucks, when you look at your cupboard of assets that you have to sell, if you don't want to move Wheeler, you don't want to move Lekramaki, I do think Rutherford foreshadowed that the first round pick's going to be dealt last week amongst his interviews. Then, then I think you're looking at Bristevich as a prime candidate because you have to think there's a team out there that's been following him and his progress through the OHL who think he's effectively like a first round pick too. He's a right hand shot too. Yes, he is. So that's the prime. Plum, scarcest asset, the right shot, offensive defenseman. Yeah, well, it'll be tempting. Uh, At our Westhead, former MLSE executive Allison Walker was supposed to begin her new job today as Canada Soccer's general secretary. Instead, citing quote-unquote personal reasons, she has told the Federation she is declining to accept the position. The executive search firm Corn Ferry will resume a search for Canada Soccer's next general secretary. Uh, the Federation says. Um, did a little digging on this. Wow. It uh, very much sounds health-related, so our thoughts are with her, and hopefully um, whatever's going on for her is um, is handled and she can get back. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a handful of candidates at the end of their search that were, and this is not to diminish her in any way, shape, shape or form, but it was almost a coin toss. She won the, the battle there, but they are. it's not like they're going to settle for a distant second-place finish here. Um Although I believe that at least one of those candidates 
on that short list has now been hired elsewhere. So there'll be one fewer. To Is that choose Jason from. DeVos, who, of course, former uh, soccer commentary and worked with the organization? He was on money the, where his mouth is. Yeah, you know, in joining up the organization and and leading uh, their development stream, and then before signing up with TFC, he was on the long list for sure. He was probably on the medium list. I don't know that he made the short list. Okay, so uh, um, the only messy thing that sort of left here. Um, and again, we, we love to pile on Canada soccer, and there are many, many transgressions. I don't think this is one of those moments. This might just be an unfortunate timing and unfortunate yeah. news and all that. But there was Allison Walker's LinkedIn post, which, and this is hashtag the best source of Twitter, rarely do we go to LinkedIn. Here we go, LinkedIn making, making a, a debut <laughs> on hashtags. <laughs> uh, but this, is, this was her quote, and if this was the only thing you read, would you think it was medical? Um, after careful consideration and conversation with my family, I have decided for personal reasons not to step into the role. I wish Canada soccer the very best and will be cheering on the women's national team as they prepare for the Olympics and the men's national team in the lead up to the FIFA World Cup in 2026 on home soil. I look forward to sharing more of my personal journey or professional journey in the future. Um, now, of course, if, if there's a massive health moment, you probably do discuss that with your uh, family, mm. so that and you that maybe does don't track, but you don't divulge maybe it. disclose yeah. on LinkedIn, but yeah, I I, I sure it's just hope a little for, more vague. I yeah. sure hope for Canada Soccer's uh, sake that that it 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 is something not for her sake, not for yeah. hers, no. of course. Yeah, no. wish her the best, but for Canada Soccer can't really afford an executive taking the role and then having cold feet about it given everything that's already transpired with the organization. Yeah. So uh, they're back to it, and this mm -hmm. is all – this now cements it. And it was already released that Mauro Biello was going to coach the Canadian team versus Trinidad and Tobago in this last um, effort to get into the Copa. Um, that's in March. Yes. Two months away But, still. I mean, now it's absolutely solidified. Like, they're going to have to search for this person mm -hmm. and then hire a coach after that. I mean – I would think the June window would be the next time we see a new coach. Following up on a story we did about how Tiger and Nike are parting ways, and we thought, you know, I don't think it's going to take too long for Tiger to connect with a new apparel company. Well, sure enough, at Live Golf Updates, Tiger Woods will be debuting a new clothing line under TaylorMade's umbrella called Sunday Red. His contract with Nike was up in 2023, and he'll be launching the new line in early 2024. While the Nike partnership may have ended Sunday Red, seems to be just beginning. And that's just that's just him? There's nobody behind that? Behind Taylor Made. Oh, Taylor Made is the, the, yeah. the underwriting. Okay. So yeah. you think of it like Jumpman and Air Jordan yeah. under the Nike yeah. umbrella. This yeah. is Sunday Red. Uh, there is a logo out there. Go Google Homework. It's a series of lines that look sort of like a pouncing tiger. It's not my favorite logo, mm. I must say. but Which is dangerous because Puma's, of course, in the golf game too. Yeah. Anyways, right. um, you won't be escaping Tiger Woods and his apparel anytime soon, put it that way. We, we didn't think that would be the case. No. 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 Uh, a couple of great tweets. Did you hear what Jack said about him? Jack said he thought he would play on the Champions Tour because you're allowed the cart, and he thought he would dominate. Yeah, I mean, if, if he, if, I mean, if he has the cart in his back pocket, mm -hmm. I think Jack might be right on that because it, it is the, you know, it now is the long walks for four straight days that seem yeah. to drag him down. In now the he's heat. couple years away from that, he's forty eight years old, just turned forty eight at the end of December. I don't know. There's, there's part of me that 
Put it this way, until the last few years where we've seen a more humble, conciliatory, you know, yeah. Tiger talking about how old he is and the knee and stuff like that, I didn't think there was any chance that Tiger would want to compete against something less than the best or be ornamental on a champion's tour. I think it could happen, but I do sort of want to wait and see. Because, I mean, there, there's the health to begin with, and then there's the, the ego and the pride. And we'll... Wait, you, but you don't think you'd get a, a rush out of dominating the senior tour? Um, well, that's the thing. He might because it's been so long now since he has won and dominated. And it's still competition. There, there like... was a part of me that wondered whether he needed that, wanted that. Yeah, because we're not talking about a guy who played an extensive schedule even before all these injuries, right? Yeah, totally. Well, it, it is still his contemporaries. Now, I don't, yes. know, I don't know if you get as much of a rush beating a 65-year-old that might be lingering out there like Bernard Longer. But, um, but I mean, you're beating fellow 50-year-olds. You're yeah. feeling, feeling pretty good with that. The thing is, he seems to be closer to the younger guys who idolize him yeah. than his contemporaries. Yeah. And for good reason, he kicked their ass over Yeah, that's right. They span. might not be happy to see him there, by <laughs> the way. A <laughs> uh, couple bits of reaction to the Bills and Chiefs game uh, oh. from Twitter. There was lots that came out of it. At Jason Kelsey, Buffalo is awesome. The energy is contagious. Such an incredible experience. And he posts a picture of the front screen of his phone with a text from his wife quoting his daughter. Mm-hmm. Ellie said, quote, dad's boobs are showing, mm-hmm. end quote. Yeah. We saw those hairy boobs a lot. Oh, wow. The part where he jumped out of the suite. <laughs> I saw somebody reference Jurassic Park saying it's like when the T-Rex finds out it can break contain. That's right. He's loose. Um, Can I ask you this? Are the Kelsey brothers just a little too publicity hungry for your liking? Well, which is they they have bigger entertainment plans post-football. Which is why Michelle Tafoya is reporting that she thinks this is it for Travis. He's going to retire as well. And so in that regard, this might be the crescendo that they want in terms of publicity to lead them into the entertainment realm. Apparently a uh, Kelsey-style Manning cast may be coming. Yeah, something. Yeah. The other thing, I read a story about Travis Kelsey in Vanity Fair now. Think of that for a second, yeah. right? They don't do a lot of stories on no. football players where it talked about like he and his agent were lobbying to host SNL. Like he was set to host SNL if they had won that Super Bowl that they lost to Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. Like they are really pushing for opportunities in the entertainment world. He hosted Travis. he hosted immediately of the after maybe he's hosted twice. You're talking Travis? Travis. Travis hosted right after they beat the Eagles in the Super Bowl. Right. But he was he and his agent were pushing to host SNL before that, the year they got to the Super Bowl and lost to Tampa Bay. Mm. He was and Lauren Michaels told them if he wins the Super Bowl we could Lauren Michaels told them, eh, he's not a quarterback, but if you win the Super Bowl, get back to me. Mm-hmm. And when they lost the Super Bowl, it was yeah. obvious that SNL wasn't going to go down that road. I'm not going to judge it. It's not like it's a, again. It hasn't hampered his his play on the field and two touchdowns. And, and honestly, like if you're a football player, putting your brain at risk every single time you take the snap. If you right. see an out that allows you to 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 possibly make mm-hmm. more money, yeah. Hey, power Did to him. Did you see his buddy Zach Caleros, Bombers that's quarterback? What I'm, that's okay. the next one, at Mocon19. Put this one in the CFL Hall of Fame. <laughs> Zach Caleros and 
two fans of his at the Bills game is he's uh, alongside Ms. Mahomes and Ms. Swift. Yes. He's going to have some stories. Mm-hmm. Was it just me, and I might have missed some, it seemed like CBS went to cutaways of the box less than what we had seen in previous weeks and previous games. Uh, Fox is a bigger cutaway network to begin with. Yeah. Um, I, I do wonder whether the omnipresence of Jim Nance governing the broadcast may have had something to do with that. Maybe. Well, because, you know, Jim's a serious guy. He's about the the broadcast. And oh, and the stakes being at a playoff game, right? I I think I because I, I mean, there was one Travis Kelsey touchdown where they did not cut away to the box and her at all. Oh, really? The, the one where he's wide open, they did, mm-hmm. uh, where he put the heart up. Um, it, I thought it weird um, on one of the other touchdowns, not scored by him. They went to the box, did though. they? And I was like, oh, that's weird. Like, there's no reason to go to the box then. Yeah. Did it also seem to you like Jason Kelsey felt he was in a competitive environment for camera time in that box? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Because let's face it, he's not second fiddle very much these days. Which which wife? Although I suppose you could argue that on their podcast, he's second fiddle because Travis takes up a lot of oxygen. Which wag is second? I think T-Swift takes the the top. Which wag is, is now second all time for cutaways? I've got my answer. And I don't, I don't know why this was the case. I think they're just fascinating because she had a unique look. I don't remember Giselle getting a lot nope. of camera time in those nope. Super Bowls occasionally. No, nope. nope, not a lot at all. Okay, hit me. Kurt Warner's wife. Oh, right. Do you remember the camera time Brenda. that she got? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They went to her all the well, time. I mean, because he was the truly He's a great story, story. Right. And she had crazy hair. And I think yeah. people like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's the only one I can think of where people were yeah. people were done with Ruth Brenda, too. Yeah. Well, at one point she was an Iowa mom and the wife of a grocery <laughs> clerk. clerk. Yes. Yeah. And the next thing you know, she was the wife of the Super Bowl winner and NFL MVP. Was, I uh, I tried to watch that American. It's an American underdog. The life story of Kurt Warner. Not a good doc. Didn't get very. Not all docs no, are it's equal. Not a doc. Mm-hmm. It's a feature, and that's the problem. Uh, At Darren Ravel, Nick Dunlap becomes the first amateur to win a PGA Tour event since Phil Mickelson in 1991. Thirty-three years. Prize Dunlap couldn't accept one point five million dollars. Prize Mickelson couldn't accept one hundred and eighty k for winning the Tucson Open, which works out to about four hundred thousand dollars in today's money. Had a three-shot lead going into the final round at the American Express at La Quinta. Um, I'm guess- some nervous moments down the stretch. The T-ball on 18 was quite right. He got a super break on the approach shot that it hit someone and bounced down into the apron, allowing him to make par and, and avoid the playoff. And, of course, he was also helped out by Sam Burns completely losing his swing and putting balls in the water on 17 and 18. But history made on the PGA Tour, and it got me thinking, Blake, we know these amateurs are good. I mean, Mm -hmm. probably better than previous classes of amateurs, right? Like they have had more instruction and all of that. Plus, here's the other thing. Again, not the greatest field. Rory wasn't there. Of course, John Rahm is no longer going to be there. So That's never the the best field, though. Like, no, but... 
your winners so far have been Chris Kirk, Grayson Murray, and Nick Dunlap. Yeah. So are we starting already to see thinner PGA fields allowing for surprise champions? Unless you're you're events. just about to enter the Nick Dunlop era. Well, that's the other thing. Guy shot it, it, sixty on Saturday. Unless Nick Dunlop is the next guy. I mean, it says something that Mickelson was the last to do it, yeah. right? Like that's a generational player. If Nick Dunlap turns into a generational player, then I take all that back. Now I'm sure they covered this on the broadcast. I only watched on Saturday. I didn't watch any on Sunday. He can't call an audible uh, on the 18th green, can he? And say I'm and pro. turn pro. Yeah. I don't believe so. Got to declare before the event, probably. Right. Yeah, because I. Would, he I could would... certainly declare pro now if he wants. He's exempt. Yeah. He's getting into all these events. Can I get some sympathy dollars? Can I get a hundred k if I declare <laughs> professional now? And that's hashtags for <laughs> today. Our next guest played 768 National Hockey League games, 105 of them for the Vancouver Canucks. And and he was there when some of these young bucks started creeping into the lineup. Patterson, Besser, and others. It's our pleasure to welcome Michael Delzato to Sikharison Price. Michael, how are you? Thanks for the time. I'm great, thanks. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You're more than welcome. First of all, catch us up with uh, you. What's up these days? Uh, a lot of travel. I just got back from Mexico. My uh, best buddy's bachelor party there. I'm heading to New York on Wednesday uh, to see my nephews playing the Rangers uh, Islanders alumni game. Then I'm heading to Scottsdale in a few weeks for the waste management open for work. Uh, I'm doing some work with a uh, luxury golf travel company, all access. So we, we curate bucket list golf trips all over the world. So I'll be there for that. And then from there, I'll be flying to Vegas for the Super Bowl. Um then I'm in Toronto for a wedding. Yeah, a lot of travel this these last uh, six or seven weeks. But uh, living in Miami now, um, kind of you know, sick and tired of the cold. Don't want to shovel snow anymore or put a parka <laughs> on or a toque. Uh, so wherever I can be in a bathing suit and t-shirt, I'm happy. Michael, what I'm hearing is that hockey got in the way of a pretty good life. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know what? Hockey, I, I, hockey was amazing. I'm enjoying retirement. You know, I, it was time for me uh, the last couple of years. I wasn't I wasn't enjoying the game as much as I used to. I, I wasn't uh, I wasn't loving coming to the rink every single day, and I kind of knew that the time was coming. And listen, all good things come to an end. And unfortunately, you know, in our profession, you can only play for so many years. And uh, I knew the time was right. And once the season started up again, and I wasn't missing that much, I wasn't watching hockey. Um, you know, I was really enjoying life and enjoying having some control of a where I live, b b where I got to go, and who I was spending time with. Um, you know, I knew that ma- I made the right decision and. Uh, no knock on hockey. You know, I've made so many amazing relationships, friendships, uh, lifetime memories, but uh, I'm definitely excited and enjoying the next chapter. I, I always am amazed and impressed by guys like yourself, over 700 games, played for nine teams, and then the last couple of years, the, the years you're talking about here, are we're in the AHL. And yet, like, you still, were you, were you playing those games because it was in the AHL and, it, you know, it was playing hockey for some money or were you still still thinking I'm going to get a call up here and, and were you still trying to, you know, live out the dream a little bit? Uh, well, I, I didn't think I belong there. I mean, if you just look at my numbers alone, yeah. especially last year at Anaheim, uh, you know, the, the Anaheim was a horrendous team and, and it's like they just kept wanting to lose and I, I, I wasn't brought up in that type of 
mindset, you know, playing for New York, um, having John Tortorella as a coach, that it didn't matter if you made league minimum, you were 19 years old, or you made 10 million and you were 40 years old, you scored one goal or 40 goals. If you deserve to play, you played, right? There was no politics. There was no nonsense. And unfortunately, last year when I got traded to, to Anaheim, San Diego, they essentially promised me a call up if I played well and I mentored the kids. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, in my eyes and a lot of people who were involved in the organization there in San Diego would say I exceeded expectations and never got that call up. Uh, the same thing kind of happened the year before with, uh, with Ottawa. And, um, you know, it just got to the point where I, I thought I deserved more and um, I wasn't getting it and I wasn't going to, you know, keep begging for a job or keep begging for an opportunity. You know, if the time comes, the time comes and sometimes you have to face reality and it's not always uh, mm-hmm. um, the easiest to do. You know, it's uh, sometimes uh, some harsh news and, and not one you're, you may be ready for, but uh, I was preparing for this moment for, for many years. I knew it would come and uh, very, thankful to have the, the parents that I do that have instilled, you know, quality values in me and, and told me that it wasn't always about hockey as much as uh, I was able to live my childhood dream. You know, there is more to life. 31 points in 40 games last year. That sounds well, pretty good to yeah, me. And uh, 13 and 26 with the Senators <laughs> when last we saw you in the NHL. Okay. So the last couple of years weren't um, uh, all that enjoyable, Michael, how did you feel about your time here in Vancouver with the Canucks? Uh, well, my first year there was the only year of my career. I played a, a full 82 games. So that was special for me. Uh, obviously we didn't make playoffs and, and that's, those are expect, uh, expectations that you have every year playing in a market like Vancouver. Uh, the fans don't accept uh, anything less than that. I think getting a year with the, the, the twins and their last year was, uh, very, very special. You know, two of the classiest individuals you'll ever meet. Uh, I enjoy my time in Vancouver. Uh, I would have liked to maybe play there a little bit longer, but I, I'm happy to see them the success that they're having, as you talked about before, you know, PD and Bess were there. They had their first years while I was there and they were like uh, little brothers to me. I happened to see them. I think it was in October when I was there for uh, the Canucks uh, autism uh, charity event and being able to, to catch up with PD and Bess was, uh, you know, I felt like a, a proud older brother seeing them mm-hmm. have success and how much fun they were having winning again. So uh, really happy uh, for the team and where they're at right now. Yeah. You were very much there during the uh, passing of the tour share of the Canucks. Uh, what did you first make of Patterson when you saw him on the ice? I mean, the guy was 150 pounds soaking wet. Uh, he obviously has that offensive talent and the way he's this ability to shoot the puck. Um, but his, his competitive nature for a smaller guy, I don't say smaller for, a, for not as thick of a guy as maybe some other forwards would be his competitive nature is his ability to go into the, uh, the dirty areas, uh, his care to win every single night, you know, on the defensive side, you're throwing his weight around a little bit. I love that. You know, it's a little bit of that old school flair. And, um, he was very, very impressed with them. And, uh, he's, I'd say he's exceeded. He's what everyone wanted him to be, but I still think he's exceeded expectations. So he's a, he's a treat to watch every single game. And you may not get points every single night, but he still has a positive influence on the game. Uh, every single night, uh, he steps on the ice. Same question on Besser. You were there, uh, if I'm not mistaken, for Brock's first full season. He had made the uh, cameo nine games the year before. And uh, the Besser story here, Michael, that he's up around the league leaders in terms of goals this season. Yeah, I'm, I'm so happy for him because, you know, it's no secret what he was dealing with on the family side in his personal life uh, last, you know, not even just last year, the last few years. And it doesn't get, um, you don't want to talk about it, but it doesn't get talked about enough the what guys have to deal with away from their rank you know it's not 
yeah, you're expected to perform every single night. I understand that. But as I mentioned before, there's bigger things in hockey out there and family being number one. And what he had to endure and go through, I could, couldn't, could only imagine uh, what it was like on a daily basis. And now it seems like he's just having more fun being at the rink and he's not having that, that, that over his, um, hanging over him and he feels a little bit more free. And, um, it's, you know, I'm so happy for him because again, what he had to deal with, uh, you don't wish that upon anyone. Um, and, and for him to overcome that and, you know, truthfully sh- shut up some of the media who were, who weren't exactly on his side when he was going through that. Uh, I'm so happy for him. The, uh, the time of year that is now is another time where a, a player, might feel a little bit uneasy personally as well because the trade deadline is not too far away. And even on a great team, heck, we've been bandying about some great players here on the Vancouver Canucks who just might have to be the cost of doing business at the trade deadline. Um, you were traded a bunch. What, what did, the, did the trade deadline seem ominous to you uh, all the time? And, and how upsetting was that uh, personally when you, when you get traded? Not only the comment to you as a player necessarily, the feeling of maybe being unwanted, or but just having to – figure out the bank accounts, figure out the addresses and all that sort of stuff. It just, it seems like it would be a huge pain in the ass. Listen, getting traded once you, you learn pretty quickly the business side of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when it starts to wear on you a little bit. Um, you know, you play for the love of the game and you play as if you're a kid. And, uh, but once that first trade happens and you understand right away, like this, this is a cruel business. Mm-hmm. Um, for some people it's tougher than others because, there's some people who are a little bit more introverted, some people who aren't the most outgoing or social. And that takes a little bit of time to get used to. And not only just uh, away from the rink, but at the rink as well. There's some guys, you look at guys, you know, some superstar players will get traded, they get moved to, to other markets and they struggle for a little bit. It takes time. You, you feel comfortable in a setting. It may take a year or two years to, to feel that again, whether it's with line mates, uh, just finding friends. If you're having you know kids or a wife, having them feel comfortable in a certain situation, um, different staff, you know, you have 23 players, you have probably another 10, 15 staff. Then you have um, the back end staff that are at the rink, you know, people that you're seeing that are working um, at the arena. There's so many different things that go into when you're moving cities. It's not, uh, it's not the most comfortable for everyone. Unfortunately for me, it happened to be so many times I didn't have a choice, but to be comfortable with it. So uh, it became easy for me and I just was uh, able to make friends and, um, and memories in so many different cities. Last question from me, Michael, but uh, Canucks sitting there at the top of the Pacific defending Stanley Cup champion Vegas Golden Knights in chase, and then there are those Edmonton Oilers who have won 13 games in a row. What do you make of this Pacific division uh, and how it's going to shake out the rest of the way and into the playoffs? Yeah, to be honest, Vegas was my pick to win it again at the start of the year. You know, they've dealt with some injuries, and in a salary cap world now, if you have injuries, it's tough to be good. You know, there's a team like them too, that doesn't have the most depth in the, in their system because they've tried to win every single year. So they've traded a lot of those pieces. Um, it's hard. You know, injuries are tough and the goaltending was never their strength, but they kind of just got hot last year. Hill got hot. And then their back end is built old school where they're big. It makes it tough to get to the net and tough to the dirty areas to score. Uh, as far as uh, Vancouver goes, very impressive. I think for them, when I was there um, for the charity event a couple months prior uh, talk it, I know a little bit, but I had an opportunity to talk with, with Adam foot and of course, legendary player in career, but speaking to him on how he coaches and not just on the hockey side, but dealing with personalities and players and what they may be dealing with the, away from the rink. I was, I was in awe. I could have listened to him speak all day. Uh, not many coaches have that awareness or understanding of the personal side of the game or, or the, 
or, or care about that, to be quite honest with you. Like all they care about is, is, is the numbers winning and points and whatnot. So speaking to him was, um, you know, was, was such a breath of fresh, fresh air. Cause that doesn't happen often that you have a coach who, who thinks or cares that way. Uh, as far as Edmonton, you knew they were going to turn it on. Uh, McDavid and Drysdale, they have so many, too many, too many really good players. For me, I, I still don't love how they're built come playoff time. I don't know if they're going to get it done and I, they may make me eat, eat my words. Uh, but I do think once Vegas get, gets healthy, they're going to go uh, on a little bit of a, a heater here. Before you go, you mentioned John Tortorella earlier. Um, we just passed the 10-year anniversary of him storming the Bastille, as we talk about uh, here in Vancouver, and that incident with the Flames. And it was uh, an infamous year with the Canucks. I didn't think he'd get another job. Spent six years with the Blue Jackets, <laughs> taking them to the playoffs. And then after that, I thought, okay, that's probably it for Torts. Flyers go back and get him. Uh, and he's done unbelievable this year with what he's been given with the Philadelphia Flyers. Like they trade away Claude, uh, Claude Giroux leaves, pardon me, and 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 look at what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about Turner. What was your relationship like? And are you surprised that he continues to juice rosters the way he does and get the most out of them? Uh, me and him definitely got in a lot of FU matches early on in my career. You know, I came in as an offensive defenseman, and uh, he he allowed me to have my swagger, but. At the same time, as I mentioned before, I didn't care who you were. Everyone was buying into the, the team system. It was the only way we were going to win. Um, and you know, he taught me the, the art of blocking shots and how to defend and being a professional every single day. So we, we didn't always see eye to eye when it came to that. Uh, but then I had him again when I was 29 and played for Columbus. It was one of my favorite years because I got to show him, hey, look what, you, look what I've become. Look what I've grown into, not only as a player, but as a person as well. Um, you know, he really thickened my skin at a young age. And after having him, there wasn't really any coach or anyone for that matter that, that could get under it because I just dealt, uh, dealt with so much with him, but I wish I had him the rest of my career. You know, he was fair across the board. He knew where he stood at all times. So what he's doing in Philly, I'm not surprised, you know, he's, he brings a team closer together and, and, you know, they've got rid of a, a few of maybe the bad apples or the bad, uh, team chemistry guys there. And you look at that team every single night, they work their tails off, um, they defend very hard. So they have a chance to win every single night. And that group has now come together because, because of it. And they have a, a team belief that they can, uh, they can make the playoffs. He is absolutely that parent who goes, you'll thank me in time. You'll be a better man and a better person uh, for it. We've heard so many stories about that, uh, uh, about torts uh, that are in that vein, Michael, this was great fun. So in, enjoy Miami and the shorts and T-shirt and the wasted if management like kind of thing. Yeah. and the Super yeah. Bowl and all the great things that are happening in your life these days. And we'll catch up down the road. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Secure some price from Wall Center presentation, Applewood Auto Group. You can text us 778-402-9680. It's the Great Clips text message inbox. Great Clips. It's going to be great. We've been tough on the NFL season. Let's face it, it wasn't a banner year. There was a lot of awful primetime games, some unwatchable offenses, and I'm still not sure there's a great team. Like, whoever emerges from this Final Four, I'm not sure we're going to hold them up with some of the greats. Super Bowl champions. But got to say... It's a fun weekend. Three of the four games were really good, and even the Baltimore-Houston game was good through three quarters. Uh, look, Kansas City-Buffalo, what more can you say? What a rivalry. And I don't want to hear anybody in Vancouver complaining about how tough you have it as a sports fan, not when you can juxtapose against poor Buffalo. 
and the sports fans in that city who had to endure the Brett Hull skate in the crease goal, the Scott Norwood miss, and now yet another missed field goal wide right. It was right there for Josh Allen. Great call, Bills. by the way, on the wide right. Yeah. You know, well, the two most dreaded words or whatever he said in, yeah. in a wide right. Yeah. Great. Well, and that's a pretty good shout because we're talking 30-plus years since Norwood missed the kick yep. in Super Bowl twenty five. Uh, so another chapter there in Kansas City wins its first pure road game with Patrick Mahomes. All he does is play an AFC championship game, seven years in the league and six in a row here. They'll head to Baltimore, who, for a team that could run the ball and stopped the run, Houston sort of sneakily hung around that game, and I know they got the kick return. I, I do think Baltimore's going to have to be a little better Next week, but they wind up blowing them out in the fourth quarter. And, uh, you know, maybe a little concerns about the Ravens at cornerback where they've got some injuries and some guys playing nicked. And we'll see how Kansas City can match up, though, because their receivers are just so awful this year. I mean, goodness gracious. Great job calling plays by Andy Reid. I mean, Buffalo so thin at linebacker to get the running game involved, those two backs, Pacheco and Edwards Hilaire, not to mention work in the underneath routes. So, you know, I'm not sure there was any play caller I would want um, more than Andy Reid uh, to to face that scenario because really, you know, to be thin at linebacker these days is kind of like, okay, well, you're playing a lot of DBs anyways. It's not the death sentence it would have been in previous incarnations of the NFL and how, how the game is played. But really, really good job. And what did you think of the overturned call on McCole Hardman in the fumble. I'm surprised they had the stones to, to, to overturn that call. Gave Buffalo its opportunity they couldn't convert. Here's my problem with the call. Is that if you're going to go to to instant replaying, break it down frame by frame. I I see what they saw. They see your your body settles when you when you impact the ground. And so they're yeah. they're looking at to see where you know the body convulses because it's hit the ground. Thing is, is there's actually a split second right before that moment where your butt's touching the ground. I thought his right butt cheek was on the but ground. your weight is not yet on that cheek yet because the whole body yep. hasn't reached. Yep. But you, but we don't have a a ground cam. No, showing butt touching ground. This really came down to the depth of McCole Hardman's right butt cheek. Right. If 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 Hardman's got back. I'm going to guess he's down. I thought he was down. I was testing about it with Farhan, and uh, I, I, I put it this way. I did not think there was enough to overturn the call. And there, and look, the conspiracy theorist in me ran both ways. Number one, oh, if they don't overturn the call, it's because they want Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes, right? The, the other conspiracy theory side of me was, they want more drama towards the end of this. That's why it's Buffalo's fault. Well, let me ask you this. I, I saw a lot of people saying this. Worst rule in the NFL. The, no, what, no. What, I like it. What, like, like what, were they, what to them is more fair in that circumstance? That's what I want to ask. What's exactly. more fair in that circumstance? So you're going to allow the guy to fumble without any kind of penalty and bring it back to the one-yard line and, and retain possession? Can't have that. I, I am absolutely fine with if you fumble it through the end zone, it is a touchback. Okay, I just even without the defense actually getting possession. Yeah, I, I, you know, the goal line should be sacrosanct. Um, Unless they're suggesting, like Belichick now coaches it, do not 
reach the ball right. over. And we heard that on the broadcast, too. Um, if you fumble that out of bounds in the NFL, it's your ball, right? As long as it's not touched? Correct. So I guess that would be the people's argument that it, it serves as out of bounds. But it's, but it's different real estate. It's different real estate. It's different real estate because, you know, and we saw this and. Oh, I guess it would have been on the Kelsey, one of the Kelsey touchdowns, uh, the one by the pylon. If the nose of the ball crosses the forward part of the goal line, that's good enough for a touchdown. Yeah. So if you're going to give the offense that, mm-hmm. then I think give the defense the touchback roll with the fumble through the and, and that's the that's the gamble that a carrier has to make. Is am I going right. to reach? Exactly. I only need to break the plane exactly. by by a millimeter. Or I protect the ball and go down. Exactly. I told you I hated this term last week. I'm going to use it here today pejoratively. Brock Purdy looked like Mr. Irrelevant for three quarters. And the San Francisco 49ers are now 1-30 and 30 under Kyle Shanahan when they trail by five or more points entering the fourth quarter. Not exactly a comeback team. Not a team built for that. I'll give Purdy credit. He was good when he needed to be, and Jordan Love with a Brett Farvian mistake throwing the ball back across his body. Sensational game between San Francisco. I say sensational. I'm not sure it was the cleanest, crisp, like, oh, yeah, these two teams are great game, but a sensational drama from the Packers and the 49ers. And you got to wonder if now San Francisco, whew, Sigh of relief escaped that narrow win that you're probably that narrow game that you're probably going to have to survive at some point along the NFL playoff road. Terrific season for the Packers and boy, are they well set up going forward with all their young skill people. And then look, uh, I'm not particularly as charmed as the next guy about the Detroit Lions and Dan Campbell and all of that, but how can you not feel good for a franchise that has more playoff wins this postseason than it had in its history from 1958 to 2022. They're into the NFC Championship game for the first time since Barry Sanders, and that line seemed to be a pretty good Cowboys team en route to face Washington. And uh, that game was fun, too. Well, in the third quarter there, but that game was a whole lot of fun, too. If you put that through the equality calculator, is it Red Sox or Cubs sort of level of drought? Yeah, except the Red Sox and the Cubs are like kind of the two two of the biggest sports media brands the continent over. Yeah, it the hurts Detroit more when you're nothing. Are not quite that. Yeah, yeah. So the the the, the slump for the Red Sox and the Cubs felt. Well, l- was felt by more, and in the Red Sox case, they got close a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, and the Lions don't get close. Yeah, losing in the World Series is still a great season, right? Except if you're on a hundred year drought, <laughs> you know, right? Or an eighty year drought along the way, mm-hmm. losing in a playoff game to the Yankees. So there was a lot of heartbreak along the Red Sox road, and of course, you know, it had the great origin story of the curse of the Bambino. The Cubs had the great origin story of the you know the billy goat curse um, not to mention heartbreak leon durham in the 84 nlcs against the padres even though the lions haven't had a lot of that no they got destroyed in that nfc championship game by washington way back when and they haven't really threatened not much joy in Mudville. no exactly no. uh um so 
a team that has never played in the Super Bowl, despite being in existence in the entirety of the Super Bowl. There's been two Super Bowl games in Detroit or suburban Detroit, but there has never actually been a Lions team in a Super Bowl. And they are one win away if they can beat mighty San Francisco in the Bay Area. Update on the Seahawks coaching search. They are doing second interviews with Raheem Morris, Dan Quinn, Ejiro Evero, Patrick Graham, and Mike Kafka. Uh, Evero and Graham, the defensive coordinators. Kafka, the offensive coordinator. Quinn is getting a second interview with Washington. Raheem Morris is doing several second interviews. Washington, Carolina, and Atlanta, who have already interviewed Bill Belichick a couple of times. You need a second interview with Bill Belichick? Yeah. Like, what is it covered in the first interview with Bill Belichick? Like, either Belichick. Who's interviewing who? And I, I, yeah, no no doubt. And and I realize there are Rooney Rule um, requirements that are at play here, but I was a little surprised to hear that, like, Bill Belichick is being hired by Arthur Blank. Like, make no Mm -hmm. mistake, the owner is making this call if it's Bill Belichick, right? You need a second one? But but again, maybe it's Bill Belichick going... I want to talk to you guys again. I've got a few more questions. Could well be. I mean, they're also interviewing Jim Harbaugh, so they are absolutely big game hunting. Well, the Chargers are number two uh, meeting for with Harbaugh. Yeah. Already, so Harbaugh I can get, particularly with the little complication here about whether the NCAA may try and punish him retroactively for the sign stealing scandal. But the NFL is not recognizing that. Well, but I- there was reports that the NFL could, like Sheffer and those guys were saying, like the NFL could if they wanted to recognize transgressions at the NCAA level and punch. So, you know, Harbaugh's making sure that whatever he signs allows him to continue to be the head coach should the NCAA come down hard. I got to say, I'm a little surprised that we haven't seen more of the coaching vacancies filled. I know Antonio Pierce has taken over now, no more of the interim coach with the Raiders. I would have thought we had heard something about Harbaugh or Belichick at this stage in the proceedings. Moving on, poll results from Friday. We asked you, Jim Rutherford, will he deliver a cup to Vancouver, yes or no? What do the people say, Blake? Uh, They said yes. Indeed, percentage? 60. 70. Mm. Ken, when did we become so positive? (laughs) (laughs) Yosef, time has made me a pessimist. Going to say no until we actually see a cup. G-Man, if they add a couple of pieces and stay healthy, you never know. Echoing the uh, chairman and owner, Francesco, on Friday. As to the first comment about when do we become so positive, honestly, if the Canucks were only a little bit worse, like if they mm-hmm. were if they were third in the division, still in a nice spot, mm-hmm. let's say they were where the Oilers are, 53 points, I still think the pessimism would still be there. The uh, how good is this team really? Mm-hmm. Yep. I, th- I think all those I think the fact that it's just been such an unequivocal. It's undeniable. It's undeniable. It's undeniable. And they're beating all these good teams recently, as we talked right. about. Like, I, I think it's just forced the hand of a lot of the skeptics that, no, it's just a good team. Yeah. Errors and omissions from Friday's program and beyond. Uh, one on you, one on me. Mine's more of a clarification. Tom Wielander was ranked 73rd. Jonathan Lekramaki, 91st in the Hockey News Prospects Unlimited ranking. Now, a couple things. As mentioned, that... That ranking was done before the World Juniors. And secondly, because it's the Prospects Unlimited edition of Hockey News and not the top prospects, this includes all players drafted or undrafted. So you have 25 and 26 draft pick eligible players 
who are on this list. Lecromacki and Wheelander would rank higher, of course, if those guys weren't included. So guys in like Macklin are, are above Macklin them. Celebrini yeah. is a top 10 guy, and I see he was a unanimous choice as Bob McKenzie's top draft eligible prospect. And then Blake, you forgot the corner of Robson and Berard. Prior to HMV, there was a virgin megastore in there. Planet Hollywood was upstairs. It wasn't actually on the corner where Victoria right. and her it's secrets true. True. Are, are closing up shop. Uh, and uh, Kenneth Chan of Daily Hive reporting, that will be an Adidas or Adidas store going forward. 35,000 square foot Adidas store. Yes. Like, they're going to have everything. Well, uh, the other thing I wonder is... They've got a lot of athlete endorsers around this world. Yeah, does somebody open it up? Is somebody going to – is Messi an Adidas guy? Uh, well, by extension of being an MLS, he's sort of an Adidas guy. What, what his personal brand is? Well, I'm know. just wondering, like, if any of these mess, uh, any of these uh, Adidas athletes are going to be by for, you know, photos, ribbon cuttings, you know, autographs, whatever – Going forward, I mean that's a massive, massive store. He is an Adidas guy. Yeah, yes. Yeah. I just wonder if before the Inter Miami game here, and we see an appearance at. I don't know what the timing flag. is for that if opening. They get it done. Do, have if you seen a date? Have you no, seen? I didn't see yeah. that. Airs and omissions for tomorrow. Adidas <laughs> store. When does it open? Betway bets of the daytime. I'm going down under to the Aussie Open. I want some tennis over the weekend. Uh, Andre Rublev coming off a tough five-setter. Yannick Sinner, straight set victory, the Italian, and has a little bit more rest here. Was this a fourth seed versus the fifth seed? You're getting huge value on Rublev at 425. So I'm taking the big swing on the Russian over the Italian at the Aussie Open. Uh, first thing I thought of with the uh, Ravens versus um, the Chiefs is – how much, with so much on the line, how much is Lamar Jackson going to run? This would be the spot. And it's a pretty middling rush defense for uh, the Chiefs, and they've been getting a little bit worse in the back half of the season. Yep. Now, not the greatest of receivers in Baltimore, and you've got some guys on that team that I think would be very good spies of the quarterback. Bolton comes to mind. But so, I hear where you're going here. So over 59.5 yards pays out. At 183. On your Betway bets of the day, must be 19 plus to play. Please play responsibly. Thanks for listening, everybody, and watching. Please subscribe to us, Canucks Conversation, rank wide, wherever you get your podcast. Follow on social that's Twitter, Insta, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. And of course, support the community sponsors you hear us talking about. Keep it local.